Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Jay. This is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of exploring the strange worlds of the TriTac Games and telling your friends about it and getting them to come and play too. This week, we are following up on our last recorded podcast on colonies. There were still a few things we hadn't covered yet, so we decided to add some more. So we're not quite sure how many uh, weeks' worth of podcasts this is all going to turn out, but we're hoping that you're bearing with us and that you're having a good time listening to this, because we're having a good time doing it. Fringeworthy. Give me a reason why somebody would make a colony with no expectations at all. To form a support base for a further expansion into the fringe path. There you go. Well, then they are expecting something. They're expecting them to act as a service organization. They're expecting them to act as a tripwire. Put a whole bunch of colonies out on what you consider to be the perimeter or the, the borderlands of your power center. Let's say it's the new Commonwealth. You've got them out there. You basically said, look, we want you to set up any kind of world you like. We just want you to be there. And they're like, oh, great. And then one of them goes missing. Make sure you scream loudly when the monsters eat you. They're there primarily to see whether or not anybody is offended by them being there. So it's a frontier fort. I would think you could actually do that more efficiently by sending exploration teams further afield to discover if there's somebody else on the other side of that frontier and then asking them. Or if your exploration team doesn't come back, there's your clue. Well, there's a problem with that, Jay, is that you don't know why the team didn't come back. They could have walked through a portal and it's a problem portal and they all got fried. That's not really a sign of enemy action. That's just a sign that somebody's dead and, and you know, you got to go find out why they're dead. Or they walk through and they come back two years later, but they only spent 50 minutes on your side. It's one of those time dilation portals where they so, can't come back. So if an exploration team goes out and doesn't come back, we put a question mark on that platform and we send somebody else to really, really brave to go see if they can poke it with a stick and find out what happened. So you risk losing a second team. Mm-hmm. Better than risking losing a whole colony full of people. Well, you kind of covered this when you were talking about the Romans. They send out a, a group. They don't come back. This is, okay, now we're going to send out a big group. We lost the team. Now we'll send a legion. But I think the better analogy here would be a frontier fort. You sent soldiers. They're garrisoning a location. If somebody comes and picks a fight with them, you've got the right people to meet them. The way the paths and the platforms are set up, it doesn't really work like that unless the actual frontier fort is on the platform holding the platform. You could do that, I suppose, if you had like one portal leading to a world where the colony was, and the colony was to support a military detachment that was to hold that platform at all costs. Then you can kind of see that 
Frontier Fort analogy working. The Frontier Fort doesn't have to hold the platform. They just have to have scouts on it. Uh, if, what if they get cut off? They can't warn the people back home. They might be able to lock the gate against it, but then what do they do? Right, but you have a Frontier Fort. All they got to do is garrison the, the alt platform with scouts. Somebody comes through, they're hostile. The one scout breaks off and takes off on his speeder bike, a la Planet Vandor. <laughs> Just watch out for the trees. If they are guarding a portal, they would probably at least have some sort of checkpoint in front of that portal. So if something's unfriendly, you run through the portal, and then hopefully on the other side, someone can lock it behind you. Where well, the air guys cover you as you get out, and hopefully they can—they might be able to make it through too. But you never know. Of course, you can run through and say, "Okay, start shooting through the portal." Then there's the next question. Okay, one of your teams comes back and say, "Somebody dressed funny took one look at us, ran through the portal, and locked it." What do you want us to do now? That's an adventure. I'd, I'd rather find out where they want to lock out the portals and hold people away, rather than having them come and find out where I want to lock out the portals and hold people away. Now remember the one tactic that everyone will use. I mean, everyone will use once they discover it. Everyone carries a line about a thousand yards of fishing line and a lead weight. And it's clipped to their belt. Why? You throw it through the portal, you're now transitioning. Thought you guys removed that. No. No, we kept we're keeping that. If you're transitioning and you get shot, the portal fires back for you. Okay. Everyone will do that, so you basically it turns to a meat fest at that point. <laughs> We found a bunch of people from all these different worlds tied up in all this fishing line. We don't know what was going on. <laughs> but we're missing point. They're scouts. A scout's job is not to not to do the fight. His job is to find the enemy so somebody bigger can come along and do the fighting. So they're they're sitting on the platform taking a look. When when the bad guys come through the fifty foot portal ring driving tanks, two are gonna be like, Hey, who are you? And number three is gonna hop the bike, bail through the, the portal and go warn somebody. Yeah, and make sure no one's staying in, in direct line of the portal, so if the, if the guys, the bad guys in their tanks are locking shells through, there's no one in the way. <laughs> okay, so you're saying that there would never be a case where, or there wouldn't be a, a good case for being worried that people are going to come through and basically either wipe out or take over or capture everybody who's fringeworthy in a colony. I'd be worried about that a lot. But we're saying that's the purpose of that colony, is to be the first encounter for hostiles or friendlies. I would want to take a more defensive tone and not go ahead and say, you, 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 go out and be red shirts. I'd want to try to prevent them from actually, you know, being expendable at some point. But on the other hand, you know, if somebody's coming down the fringe paths towards you, if the cops are out with tanks coming down your neck, coming down your throat, how are you going to find out except by having people out there as a scouting team to let you know they're coming? We have that now. It's an all-volunteer army. If they're there, then you would actually have to have a fire base in place. I can see IDET and, and the Roman legions getting together and putting together a portable fire base that you can set up on the platform. Probably may all reinforce concrete, maybe with a thin layer of Tamil and Miller on front if they have that. And it's there as your fire base. I don't want to rain on your parade here, okay, but you do realize that the portal only produces the equivalent of 100 points in uh, under the D20 system, amount of fire damage. Now, it happens every action. It's continuous, but it's only 100 points. You build a tank out of Tamellan steel, it's never even going to get warm. Yeah, that's true. 
When we're talking about late campaign, we're talking about people who may have weapons that laugh at the fringe portal defenses like that. You're still thinking first early stuff with the, the pirates and steel tanks. and. If I could build a Tremellan metal tank, then I've got the platform. I'm holding the platform because I can put it right in the middle of the platform. And anybody who comes through, most more likely than not, they're not going to be able to take a heavy tank built out of Tremellan metal. I just envisioning this fringe-worthy Maginot line. <laughs> it looks fantastic, but there's always a way around it. There's a way out of any cage, and I'll find it. You can push it off the platform. You can float it off the platform, unless, of course, it's wired down to the platform, which you can still do. Having a tank mail to Meller Metal is, would be probably very expensive or not. It just depends on what you say is your defense. And maybe you could just cover it over with a big blob of opaque plastic. And sure, nobody can get into the tank, but the tank can't see anything now. So anything, if you have time to plan for it, you're going to be able to defeat its defenses. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the tank could be basically be a, your standard tank, but they've gone through the process of, make, of, of plating it in a thin layer of Tamela Mello, which will last for a long time before you actually get through it. If I'm going to be anticipate a serious fight for a platform, I'm not just going to stick one tank out there. I mean, are you really seriously going to build an army, huge defensive thing out there on the platform? I think the idea that we talked before, which is you have the floating platform, and if something really that bad shows up, you just drop a, a huge crate of, of nitroglycerin down on them. The platform is the neck. The platform and the portals are the bottleneck that an opposing force has to get through to approach your planet. And so that's where you really want to set up your defenses, and that's where you really want to bottle them up and shoot them. You actually do need some sort of base defense there that they basically you can operate from, because the guys up there are dropping the bombs. They're okay, but you know they have to be hovering in the right position to drop those bombs on those guys. They're always hovering in the right position. <laughs> well, it's the classic choke point, but... How big is a fight going to be, really, on the on the fringe pass when the system itself is self-limiting? Only so many people are fringe-worthy. You can't build an army and shove it down the fringe path. That's why the fringe-worthy filter was put into place, so you couldn't do that. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. You Actually, you can build an army. Right. It's, it's not quite ethical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. There are things you can do. You're starting on the fringe path. There's the 50-foot portal. You stop. Two guys come out, they attach lines to them, they jump and go around behind it and go through on the other side. Now they can look around and see what's going on and then report. And you may never see them. <laughs> or you use something like the uh, the wind-up. Yeah. You have the melon version of a wind-up, which is probably the size of your thumbnail. You'll never see it when it goes through and comes back. If it's to melon tech, it's going to come back and ask you for a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> it's alive. Well, that's what the colony's for. It's a bakery. And the tactic there is, is, is the old pirate tactic. You see in the platform, and you'll lob a few gas shells through. Low-tech option. Does a periscope work? What do you mean, work? Through a portal? If I stick a, a tube with a lens on each end through the portal, can I look through it without transiting the portal? The telescope will transition and the uh, black curtain uh, will stay in place through the telescope. You won't be able to see it. The same, for, same true as for fiber optics. Rats. It goes beyond just being light. I mean, things are actually being transited across interdimensional space on those portals. They're not connected. 
bummer. Well, anyway, I always thought there might be a, a low-tech option for those. There, oh, there are. Low-tech entries for all those worlds that aren't 20th century level tech. There's all kinds of things you could use. Plumbing. The fringe path is an excuse for mechanical and hydraulic engineers to lose their minds. And also some wonderful Rube Goldberg devices. Well, I was thinking of those those people that stumble on the fringe path, but their technological level is like 10th century. They'll be able to do stuff, and they may find it more easy to do stuff since they're dealing with that tech level, with a tech level that's fringe-friendly to begin with. Like I said, they may they may do the method of crawling on the other side of the big of the big fifty foot ring, come through the other side, and then d- poke their head out and look around and put, go back through. You know, you're in free fall for all, all that all all that work. See, this it wouldn't be that that difficult to do it. You know, Paul, the tin cans on a string does work through the fringe portal. <laughs> the wire is slowly being pulled through, but you can still. Send the vibration through. So it'll transmit the sunburn. <laughs> so you... Neat. Anyway, the purpose of a fire base, it's a defense. You're meaning to hold territory and not give it up. And I don't see that being in the plan for an outlying colony like a tripwire. It's, it's labor-intensive, it's very expensive, and it requires a lot of manpower. When you're the first colony at the very end of the line, you're the tripwire. All you're going to have is a couple scouts who run back through, warn the colony, and another scout that runs back down the fringe path to something much more valuable, much more permanent. Here you are on the end, of, like you say, on the, on the end of the string. You're out there on the colony. You know, some guy comes running back through the portal, warning everybody that there's something out there that looks pretty nasty and will probably be coming through soon. What kind of defenses would you expect the colony to have? I'm going to use my shoes, and I'm leaving. So your idea, Jay, is that everybody scatters. Yeah. No, just me. You can stay if you want. The scorched earth policy. Is that the idea? Is that the defense? The defense is to spread out as much as possible so they can't kill us all. I think it's a valid defense. I was joking. If I'm on a platform some distance away from the frontier, and somebody comes back through and says, uh, bad guy's coming, that's where we'd have a real serious firebase fort to hold that platform because we're closer into the center of commerce to where actual traffic is going through that is part of our new commonwealth. If I'm on the world side of a portal and I'm a colonist digging in the dirt and somebody comes to the portal saying, monster's coming, yeah, I'm heading for the hills. That's the only thing a small colony could do is pick up a bug out bag and a gun and head for the hills and hope it didn't get all of us. Why can't they have some perimeter defense? Paul just explained why. That's labor-intensive. It's expensive. You'd have to have manpower to maintain it, and all our manpower going into growing the colony. What if it's automatic? What if it's robotic? What if you use natives to do it for you? Now, defenses by their nature are passive. Well, the natives are going to run away too, unless we are total. Unless we're into treating them like cannon fodder, and I would shoot you if you tried to use natives in cannon fodder, and then me and the natives would run away. Jay, you're only one person. So are you, Bruce. You're forgetting one primary form of defense the colony can do, and unfortunately would be at the sacrifice of the scouts on the platform. If it's a ring station, they turn off the portal. They'll at least delay the guys on our side. Unless they have a tough key. Then they just click and go. Yeah, if they have a rainbow key, but I doubt very much they have a rainbow key. If you're tricky enough and you're good enough and you know how to use your key and you've got the right kind, you know, you could always set them up with some kind of time delay. So they come through, 
and gives you time to surround them, uh, or you go out. I mean, it, you know, there's all kinds of tricks you could do with that. You know, put them in that time delay bubble. That assumes you have guns big enough to handle it. Imagine if this is a dragon. A dragon says, ooh, fringe pass, and is wandering down the fringe pass going, that tasted good. Boy, they screamed funny. And then it comes through your portal. You're sitting there with a huge dragon coming through this time delay portal, and you don't have the anti-tank weapons or the heavy artillery to punch its skin. Hopefully I know what's on the prime, what the prime platform is. And if it's not magical, we wait 19 hours, and then that dragon becomes basically a big lizard. We run off into the hills and let Mr. Dragon find out about the rules of the fringe paths himself. Yeah, but you're talking about a difference between an active defense and a passive defense. You're going to shut down the portal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you do everything you can to make it hard for him, but an active defense needs manpower and it needs resources, and all of those you've got are going into making the colony work right now. Minutemen is an example of an active defense. They're farmers, they're the blacksmith, they're draughtsmen. I'm not saying everybody isn't armed. You know, you have to be prepared for two guys come through the portal with muzzle-loading pistols and say, give us your booty, or a dragon. You'd have a different plan for each one. You wouldn't be stand-up and fight if it's an armored column coming through there. If they're using pirate tactics, they don't come through first. They shell through the portal. And then they come through. Bruce asked us in the beginning, where's the portal? Is it with the colony? Is so we put the colony outside of heavy weapons range of the portal. Actually, put to the side of the portal. Not directly in front, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But see, also, the, your idea about shutting off the portal always assumes that you've got a guy standing there with a crystal. So, you know, that that's part of your defense is that you're going to have to have enough crystals that you can allocate somebody to do that job. Yeah, you need one crystal and somebody on portal watch. Scout has a crystal. This would work in some situations you could create a path of least resistance so what you do if your colony is on a prime uh you could set your colony up and lock the portal at your colony or near your colony and then you make sure that one or two of the other portals are open you leave them open so that the people they'll find an open portal and go in there and that's where you have your you keep a, a small contingent of scouts there you know just a few people who stay there lots and lots of heavy landmines <laughs> right well, I mean, and that, that would be the decoy. You know, they come through, maybe even set up a decoy base. And if it's an undesirable, you let them go to that decoy base, and that's a big trap. I like that idea, Peter. You have your main real colony on a prime. Its portal is locked down with a high-level crystal. If someone doesn't come through and unlock it on a regular basis, they know something's up. Also, you have these other portals that are open, so whenever something bad happens, they run through those other portals, grab us some communication gear that has a range of thousands of miles because the other portal might be quite this is way. And then they warn them after they run off into the, in, into the forest somewhere as, away from the, any possible aggressor that might be following them and checking around and giving the lowdown so they know what's going on. They have time to prepare themselves, get themselves geared up, get themselves ready to fight. And then when they're ready, they can go out and try to retake their platform. Meanwhile, the pirates or whoever it might be, the Coptics, are messing around trying to find them over on a portal that's thousands of miles away from the main colony. I like that idea. Putting a warp on the top of a mountain so tanks have a hard time getting down it, that is really cool. You can move warps to places that you can set up as being a very defensible position. A really small platform out in the middle of the ocean so any any large vehicles just kind of drop right off you set up an oil platform rig so 
That's where the warp is. And everybody has to go from the warp back to the rest of the colony by boat. Yeah. Right. And if they were supposed to be there or knew what they were supposed to be doing, they would know what they need to bring to get where they need to go. Yeah, and there may actually be a ring station. It's been buried just so they can move the warp someplace where it's hard to get to if you're waiting for us. Yeah, you bury it on purpose so it's a warp so that you can control it. That's a good idea. I like that. It's good defense. If you're on a motorcycle, no problem getting through. If you're a tank, you find out there's there's four-foot clearance in front of it. You have like a a concrete comb on the other side that you have to go through. Yeah. (laughs) I think we we still need to touch a little bit on number 10 because we sort of skipped that sucker. What is number 10? What support can an explorer expect from a colony? Here's your team. They show up at Fort Courage, and they want to know what they can get from that colony. Food, medical aid, and rest. Yeah, it depends on what the colony actually has. An explorer who showed up at early Jamestown would be in trouble, unless they considered him emergency rations, and then he'd be in serious trouble. (laughs) It serves a very important purpose for the explorers you got somewhere to fall back to where you can get the dentist. You can get a surgeon to heal your wounds. You can get skin grafts to cover your burns. You can replace equipment you've lost. A functional colony would have uh, food and water and support for explorers. Even a fringe one out there at the end of the stick is still going to have supplies. You requisition it, and the colony calls back to Earth Prime or Victoria Prime or Demka and says, hey, we had some explorers come in. I need 10 more packs and 300 more feet of rope. Unless they've already used it for their own purposes. And oops! Right. Yeah, if, they, if, if things are tied at the colony, they may be a little bit leery about giving it up. But a fully functional colony that had some reserves would be, you know, easily, would easily support an explorer coming through and doing resupply and, and R&R to get back on the road. Unless that's a sub-purpose for the colony, is to support exploration. Actually, I was thinking it's part of the colony charter. If the UN sponsoring colonies, part of the colony charter is that you have to provide support to fringeworthy teams. Yes, you, we will pay you for that. We're going to have to see how Warlord Rick feels about it. That That's all. But he's pretty benevolent, so it'll probably work out. Do they have to provide priority support? I would, um, that's a good question. And let's say you need a new tranny on your Muscovy. Does the motor pool have to drop whatever it's doing in order to get your tranny fixed? You know, does do you get priority service, or is it like we'll get to it when we get to it? Okay. It really depends on the county and how the county negotiates its charter. If they let the UN dictate terms, yeah, it's priority. You're priority number one. It's not a one size fits all thing. If we're a farming colony and we're growing food and and preparing to support explorers and stuff, and somebody comes through with a Humvee with a busted tranny, right? What have I got to work with? Do, do I have the parts to fix it? If I have the parts to fix it, sure, they're golden. If I just used up my last supplies getting our tractor back together, they can't have it, and we're going to have to send back to uh, support base to get new parts, and they're going to be hanging out for a while. But it all depends on what's going on. There's too many conditionals to really give a, a one-size-fits-all answer. I, I think that John said it, Jay. He said that if the charter for the colony says that fringe exploration teams get priority on goods and services and that's that then you got to follow that if, if it's a little bit more loose it's like all reasonable support should be provided by the colonies well that's when you start saying well you know i'm sorry we'll give you food and shelter but we're going to have to go back to earth prime in order to get you a new tranny so why don't you like cool your heels over there in the local bar 
or at least until we get back to say World XYZ that has something that looks like a Hummer and has a transmission that which should work with a little adaptation. Oh, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> you should be expecting your equipment to be breaking down all the time anyway. Most things that, that are used are going to be paid for by the lowest bidder anyway. So. Yeah. Also, that's the way the GM takes out his stress on the party. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that every colony is there to support the exploration. If you're not the prime world of a, colony, of a Commonwealth member, every single colony is there to support more exploration. The purpose to get out there is to find more things. It also comes back to how the colony was set up. If it was set up by, you know, let's say, the, the Blizzniz from their government and not through the IDET Commonwealth, then they may be less interested in helping out explorers that are not of their own race. And I'm picking on the Blizzniz because, of course, they're always seen as be the really nice guys. I'm sorry, but, you know, sucks to be you. Uh, let me, let me just, how you feel? Feel better about it now? Good. Okay. <laughs> and having a, a blizzness on your team could really raise your capital amongst the, the colony leadership when you ask for things. If that was the case where there was this kind of a problem, then having a very eclectic fringe team could be very beneficial to you. I can see Blizzness is driving uh, VW microbuses because the only thing big enough to them to get inside drive. <laughs> I love that mental picture. I really do. The only two I expect to charge for their for their services will be the Demixi and Chileans. I think everybody else will be on board for, oh, you need a transmission? Here, we're going to take yours out, put one of ours in. I'm going to need to sign you this receipt so I can get reimbursement from my debt. Well, well no, it depends. Okay, say we have a Roman colony set up. And these, the Romans, have, you know, we're talking late campaign. They actually have vehicles. They don't, they're not using horse. They're not using horses. They still might be using uh, uh, stakes and torturing people. We want to kind of be careful about dunning them on the bill. You're right. They may turn around and say, technically, we are allies. What can you do for us? You know, we're on this world and we need some help. What I'm saying is it's an agreement amongst the Commonwealth. It's an agreement amongst the Commonwealth. We're all here to support for the mutual benefit for each all. You show up, you got a broken transmission. We're going to take a transmission from one of our trucks and put it in yours. Then we're going to ship your broken transmission back to Earth Prime on the next mail truck to get it repaired. And then we will keep that transmission. Or you might say, Leah, let me see the color of your Tremelin metal there, buddy. Actually, this is the venture point. They show up, they have the part, but they have a problem. John, 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 only Peter gets to make adventures. (laughs) <laughs> and you have to solve the problem to get the part. We'll help you within treaty limits. Paul, you were overseas. If you showed up in a Czech barracks with a broken transmission, what would you get out of that? A good, other, than, other than a good laugh from the Czechs? <laughs> what would I expect to get? I would expect to get support in the form of their motor pool. They would help me tear down and remove the transmission. and They'd put it on one of their trucks. And they'd take it back for me. They can't swap transmissions for me, but there's other levels of support they can give me. I mean, motor oil's motor oil, diesel fuel's diesel fuel. And a mechanic can remove something, he may not be able to replace it. Well, you may have another situation where you're over on one world, you're trying to do a negotiation. The guy over there says, yeah, but I'm going to need like 10,000 pounds of aluminum. 
because that's really valuable in his world. So you turn around and you go over to this nearby colony world and you say, okay, I need you to melt, give me every piece of aluminum you have in this town. I need you to dismantle your tables. I need you to take off the frames around your windows. I need 10,000 pounds of aluminum. And your charter says you have to provide us primary support. Cough it up because we're doing something really important over here and we need you to do it. So just do it. And then they tell you to do something physically impossible with your body. And at which point does the team then unlimber the guns and says, yes, you are going to do this. And we are now, for the duration of getting this material, taking over this colony. Is that going to happen? And then the county unlimbers their guns. Maybe. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I mean, it depends on whether you got the drop off. depends on what you come through that portal with. Back to the defense of the colony, the people that are coming back and attacking you could be your friends because they think that their need is much more critical than your desire to acquiesce to their demands. It's a source of conflict, and you're going to have to find some sort of consensus. If the players are that bullheaded and they're going to demand that they melt down every every soda pop can and every t- you know piece of, piece of aluminum, uh, they deserve what they get at that point. They would get scolded, maybe you know, lose their status as explorers when they get home to their prime. If they're lucky. Maybe. Maybe their team leader has been captured. Maybe their team leader is dying, and the people on the other side hold the only cure. If they don't get that stuff back, their team leader is going to die. The colleague's going to say, is that person's life worth that much to us? I mean, where do you draw the line on the worth the value of of whatever it is. And if you're not willing to do it and you're a team member and you really want it to happen because it is worth it to you, how far are you willing to go even to go against one of your own colonies in order to get what you need? That's That would be a good conflict for telling a story. Yeah, of course. It also could be a situation you turn to the player who is being held hostage and say, well, you always wanted to create a new character, didn't you, Peter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so fun. That's so fun. You want to re- you want to resolve your conflict. I mean, I mean, it's okay to burn bridges occasionally. Now it could be also that there's a convenient junkyard pocket stop nearby. So okay, they can't in that on that colony to, to, to supply the demand. But if we if the colonists help you go to that junkyard world and start sifting and finding every aluminum can of any making style, we might be able to find enough aluminum in the junkyard world. And the junkyard pocket stop to to meet the demands. It'll be the biggest load of junk you ever seen in your life, but we might be able to find enough if we if we sift through and start digging and salvaging the junkyard. Now you got to convince the colonists to leave their colony, the trick over to the junkyard to start digging. There's more wealth than you can imagine. Oh, I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. Isn't there an inherent expectation that exploration is dangerous? Was it you, Paul, or was it with Todd mentioned that, you know, why doesn't the UN just send one team dedicated to go to the junkyard pocket world on, on, our, on Earth, Prime's, Earth Prime's alt and just start collecting? Maybe they will. There's a colony right there. There's a salvage colony going through and digging everywhere. And, of course, everyone's looking for those bottle of whiskey the first team found. Could have been either because I think the junk world is an immeasurable resource just in – what somebody else did. Something's going to spark an idea that you're going to take back to your planet and patent it. And find stuff like the the, the Coke bottle they found in the Mayan script. It's Coca-Cola. When you translate the, the Mayan script, it's Coca-Cola. 
licensed by a cocoa company in Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't know they'd figured out how to translate Mayan. Oh yeah, we we can read Mayan now. It's it's a it's a pain because there seems to be regional dialects uh, on how on what each each character each glyph means, but it's pretty much it's translatable these days. It's pretty much translatable. Cool, go us. So, do you think everybody on the colony is going to walk around armed? Absolutely. A new colony, a small town out on a world with lots of uh, animals that haven't discovered to leave humans alone yet. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, but just just on the off chance that somebody might come through and like give them trouble, you think it's going to be a standard policy on most colony worlds that people walk around armed all the time? Absolutely, the militia man model. I would tend to think of it more as you know the Swiss model. Everybody has an assault rifle under their bed at home, whether or not they choose to carry it around that day is their bag, you know, unless they're on watch. The Swiss have changed that. They now actually have uh, rallying points now. Just to reduce the amount of accidental shootings, they now have rallying points for the weapons. But still, you have an apartment complex or of, so, or of sorts, and then you have the weapons locker in the apartment complex. What do you think, Peter? Let's assume that you're not sitting way inside the Commonwealth, that they just happen to find a portal near Earth Prime and that you're creating a colony. Let's say you're out there on the edge of, of the Commonwealth. Are you going to walk around armed all the time just in case something might happen? I kind of like the Wild West model when it comes to that. If you're like in town, maybe not, depending. Depending on the history of what's what's going on in the town. If everybody there, for the most part, shows that they're responsible in carrying guns, then I don't see a problem with everybody carrying a gun in, in the town or, or in your complex. If you've had some issues, you know, people with hot heads and stuff, then maybe not. Maybe if you're within, you know, like within your town border, you know, you're not allowed to carry your gun. Like you're not allowed to carry your gun to the bar. You're going to go drinking? Leave your gun at home. Something like that. But or, check, or check it in like they did in the Serenity. You have yeah, a lockbox. Sure. Right. You walk into the bar, you lock it down. It used to be the custom with hat check, is with the coat check rooms, is you could check a weapon, too. Yeah, um, I like that. You know, And if you had that situation, so like political <laughs> gatherings, courtrooms, role bars, role-playing games, right? <laughs> Podcasts. As soon as I find a way to shoot somebody in the face over the internet, I'm going to be rich. Right, exactly. You know, you know, you know knitting circles. Uh, <laughs> right. Nah, they got the knitting needles. They're already yeah. <laughs> If a colony's way out there and it's a tripwire colony, everybody's going to get basic training on, on how to use a weapon. You're not going to throw a bunch of people out there and say, you, get eaten. You know, it's not the Monty Python getting eaten by a crocodile contest. As a general operating procedure, uh, I think it also matters whether or not you're on an empty world. If you're on a world where there's indigenous species around you that could be not necessarily fully trustworthy. Lions and tigers and bears. Natives. We're not that trustworthy. Why should the natives be that trustworthy? Might want to carry a weapon. Or you could be on one of those battlefield testing grounds that the Jermelon use. And well, the reason why you go around armed is basically so you can slow the thing down when it turns itself on and, and attacks you and hit, get the heck out of Dodge. Well, I'm also thinking that on a colony that may expect an attack, you'd have a certain number of guys who would be on watch. And their job would be to specifically to be armed and ready to respond to something stupid but otherwise going about their business. Or you might have a couple of guys within line of sight of the portal, but perhaps far away. So if something stupid comes through, they can warn everybody. 
and then take appropriate action. But you know, you might have a difference between uh, you know somebody who's somebody who's on watch and somebody who considers themselves you know in reservist mode, and somebody who just doesn't want to. You might get a Quaker who's joined the colony, you know, a fringeworthy Quaker. And I wouldn't say, hey, carry a gun or else. Also, if we're a condition where danger might occur at any moment. And if I knew the other colonists, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with them carrying a weapon, unless I knew for sure that they had a temper control issue. You're on the on the fringes of the Commonwealth. Ah, uh, yeah, I think it'd be it'd be a polite society. People would carry weapons at least, uh, you know, something like a pistol or something like that. Like, I doubt people would walk around with rifles slung on their shoulders. Well, sadly, you see that in pictures sometimes of Israeli colonists on Palestinian territory as they walk around. They walk around packing lots of heat. Israelis do that in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, not just out on the West Bank. Reservists on duty work, carry their weapon, whether in, in civilian clothes or uniform. That's what they do for two years. They're always on call. So, yeah, it might be kind of like that. You might have somebody who's, who's basically on call, who needs to pack a weapon, and then for everybody else, it's optional. Now, it's a matter of how well do you trust these people Warlord Rick isn't going to want him to be armed if he's running the company store and has locked the portal so people can't go. You know, armed people might have a might be able to have an opinion and enforce it. That's drama for your scene. Warlord Rick has got to maintain his alliances internally. Those armed people are people he trusts. Those are his lieutenants. Warlord Rick is not very good at negotiating. He ended up out here on the, on the uh, butt end of the fringe. I think that would mean he was bad at office politics, and I might actually like him better for that. I've been running games for about 20 years, and I can just tell you that with very, very few exceptions, everybody who's ever played this game has walked around armed to the teeth. <laughs> I, I imagine the colonists, unless there's a real sea change in the way they look, their outlook is on the French pass, would still be that way. But that's my opinion. I think you'd mostly no matter see what, armed there's people. not going to be enough. I think you, you're a safe assumption that every huge standing is also army a militia there to defend them. No, no, they're going to be their own army. You've got to make do with what you got when you're in a colony far away. Well, no, that depends on how far down the line the colony's matured. A fresh, brand new, off the press colony with 50 or 100 people. Everybody's a militiaman, but 200 years later? I thought that's the mode we were talking about, because 200 years later, they're in a They're more or less of a world. nation where a they could possibly have a, a, a standing you know, They're more of a participant in the Commonwealth. Because technically, Dallas is a colony of Washington, D.C., Los Angeles is a colony of oh, has a Washington, D.C. And it's the same point I think we made all through this whole thing. Is that is that if colony. you're talking about early on, it's one way. You talk about 200 years later, it's it could be completely different. Sure. Agreed. Agreed. How co-ed are the colonies? Do you purposely have a single-sex colony so they keep their mind on the work and not worry about fraternizing? What could possibly go wrong? Or I personally can't because imagine will forget a colony Julie, planning the colonist, finds out she's with child. Oh, I have an even darker purpose. Back into running them th through the portal to make the baby fringe-worthy. Exactly, because... 
is the colony going to be a permanent colony or is it just a temporary colony? Do you give Julie the choice to walk through the portal and make little Joey inside Fringeworthy? Or will she be forced to stay there if the colony closes up shop and leaves to raise her kid? If she doesn't make him Fringeworthy. I would think that most folks would choose to go ahead and go through the portal to make the kid Fringeworthy just to facilitate running away if that, were, if that became necessary. Yeah. Right, but that one's not. Well, what even John if said. Julie doesn't get the, to walk the through the portal, the if John marries a Julie native, to walk the that native's not. not fringeworthy, and that native's not going to be producing fringeworthy kids. It's the same situation. You're going to have people on one side of that portal that can't leave. Yeah. Yeah. Have you even thought of an even darker purpose? Have you seen the movie The, the Island? Yeah, they're all clones, and they're only there to be parts for somebody else. They have no real understanding of what the rest of the world is. The leadership of the so colony they're, they're be running is the this doctors and the engineers, and, down the and they path. all think they're the survivors. Hey, the, the, the president of the Commonwealth needs his heart. Yep, and there's his clone in that colony. Yeah, I would sympathize with the PCs going all Luke Skywalker on that one. That'd be a good adventure. See, look at there you go. But There's it, a fantastic. That makes, that's a good that's plot a, point. Peter said it. It's a good plot. <laughs> <laughs> the Frenchworthy team comes across this colony that Idet's been dealing with, and they're like, "This place is kind of too good to be true." I mean, it's awesome. You know, people love this thing. And we need you to get in there and figure out what's really going on. You know, the team gets in there and finds out this really dark secret, and then gets tangled up in it. And then they've got a moral obligation because I like using the colony from another world. Let's say colony is formed from another government altogether. It's not even an IDET colony at all. This, but IDET's been dealing with them. It's Coptic. Good. There you go. Let's say it's Coptic. Then the IDET team, what do they do? I mean, do they interfere? It's not their government. You know, it's not against their government's moralities, but it's against against our moralities. You get to introduce that really great science fiction telling element of the human condition. You're put in this situation. What do you do? And whatever you do, it's going to be right in some eyes and wrong in others. So you're stuck in a moral quandary. Do you save the clones and shut down this body harvesting operation, or do you risk war and even more lives starting a war with the Coptics? And then you get the question of... If they're making clones, do they, one, teach them other than sufficient enough to make sure they use the toilet and here's how you eat food. Either they don't have and any minds about at all. It. Are they, are these clones basically mindless. No, they have no higher brain function. We can use them as parts. Or they need to do enough to support themselves as a colony. I mean, otherwise you're just wasting them as meat walking around. Uh, they give them Facebook uh, accounts and just let them uh, sit there and vegetate until they need to harvest them. Think of it from a Coptic point of view. It's a baby-making factory. You walk through the portal, you discover, oh, it's a peaceful village, and boy, there's a lot of pregnant women, and there's a whole support staff there just to care for them. And look, they bring them through the portal, and, and they make sure that they're fringe-worthy. Until you find that at age 10, they're taken to the other side of the mountain and put in a Spartan-style military camp. Do you shut it down? Or do you risk war with the Coptics? And that could be the adventure that introduces the idea to Idet. Hey, you know what? If we don't like do it in a really malicious kind of way, that might not be such a bad idea. Never we'll thought pay, of that. We'll, we didn't even know that. We'll pay you a bonus 
if you yeah. get pregnant and go through the portal. <laughs> right, maybe that's where IDET gets the idea from a really screwed up version of what they want to do. Well, screwed up by our moral standards. I, I got a feeling, though, it's going to be discovered totally by accident. A fringe-ready team will have a couple get, in, will get involved and forget to use protection and, oh, you're pregnant. I'm sure that's how, how it's going to happen. The chance of your child being fringe-worthy is so unlikely that either you say, well, they, they must have become fringe-worthy by some other means, or they, they're fringe-worthy because you're a fringe-worthy person and you were pregnant when you went through the portal. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us again on this colony exploration. We hope we've given you some good ideas, especially some great plot points via Peter and everybody else about how to create conflict and make your colonies really interesting to encounter, live in, and possibly line up against the wall and shoot. So... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know who said it. Somebody said adventure is someone far away having a hell of a time. And don't forget yeah. your colonies also can revolt and That's say we right. don't work for you no more and we're <laughs> have a re- revolution. Viva la revolution. Viva la revolution. Hey Paul, welcome for joining us for possibly one of our darkest episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It wasn't Thank supposed you. to be a dark episode. Thanks. I bring what we, I can. We hope that you've gotten some good <laughs> ideas out of this. That's cool. We want you That's terribly much to tell us like about how you use these ideas and how you've implemented them and what are the great stories that came from it. So please post those to our Facebook groups, fans of the TriTech podcast, Fringeworthy fan group, and every place else that you can find us, especially our Yahoo groups and our uh, podcast group. And while you're at it, please leave us a glowing evaluation on iTunes because that lets more and more people know about us and join in with the fun. We will be sure to have more interesting, dark or otherwise, things to talk about next week. But until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.